now that it's over, can you guess my name? I make my money singing songs about you. It's my claim to fame. When they say it's over, it's not all over. There's still the pain. And I come running, I come running back to you again. Oh, I come running, I come running back to you again. Still leave me. I never thought you'd go till you did. Believe me. When they say it's over, it's not all over completely. 'Cause I come running, I come running back to you. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate yes. Rock Community Podcast. I'm your host Jay Scott. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Once again, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. As I mentioned prior to every show, you can check out so many different types of music-related podcasts, something for everyone. I always mention Carmen Apiece, Vinny Apice, my friends at the Hanging and Banging podcast, as well as Shout Out Loudcast with Tom and Zeus, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, and of course, Baco and Cobras and Fire. You can follow them on Twitter at Pantheon Pods. Look them up at PantheonPodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Hook Rocks, as well as any podcast platform where you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or Amazon. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest Hook Rocks episodes every time they air, every time they drop. And we've got a wonderful episode for all of you today. Uh, as you know, I'm a big Finn Lizzy fan. I'm a big Phil Lynott fan. And the documentary Songs from While I Am Away is now available. And it talks about the life of Phil Lynott and his career in Finn Lizzy. And I'd like to welcome in the director of that documentary, Miss Ema Reynolds. How are you, Emer? How are you today? I'm great, Jay. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for doing this. I do appreciate it. As I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a big Phil Lynott fan and a big Thin Lizzy fan. Uh, one of my favorite bands uh, in, in my life. Uh, I've, I view the documentary. I've watched it. It's a wonderful piece about him. When you were looking for a project to do and you were looking for a subject to do a documentary on, how did you come about the full lineup story? Was this something that you've always wanted to do? How did you you pick this out of all the other things you could have? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I, I, I actually was approached about making this film um, by one of the producers of the film, Alan Marr. They were exploring um, the idea of making, finally getting to make this film about Philip um, since, you know, the 80s when he died, people have been trying to make either a drama or a documentary about his life story. And, you know, it has never really happened. But suddenly it was that time was was becoming possible when maybe this film could be made. And he saw my Alan saw my previous film, which is a completely different subject about, about space, about the Voyager space program, a film called The Farthest. And he was a fan of that. And he heard on the grapevine that I was a Tin Lizzy fan. And he he approached me to see would I be interested in talking with him and with um, 
Universal and Eagle Rock uh, about making this film. Then what they were, Eagle Rock, then the neck called Mercury. And I, I nearly bit his arm off because I was so excited. I've been a fan, a Lizzie and a Philip fan since I was in my early teens. So uh, it was a dream come true to me for me to be able to make um, a film about him and get to know more about him, you know, not not just the image I had fallen for, you know, like every other fan, I, I, all I knew about him was what I saw on stage and what I heard in the albums, you know, and I, I, that was all I had to hold on to. And I was really looking forward to being able to peel back the covers and peel back the image and, and try to find out a little bit more about the, the human being behind the, the rock star, you know, the artist behind the, 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 the singer, you know, to, to actually see to see and learn and, and reveal and hopefully share with the audience a little bit more about Philip the Man. When you're putting this together and you're approaching, you know, the direction you want to go on this documentary, you know, how did you choose or, or what was the direction that you wanted to set forth and, and go on this journey and tell the story of Philina? I wanted to, um, I wasn't that interested per se in, uh, rock doc, you know, uh, that, that genre, not that there's anything wrong with nothing, nothing as good as a great rock doc, but I was more interested in making something a little bit more poetic, a little bit more of a personal and poetic portrait about the man. Um, because, you know, of, of just great love for him and, and how, you know, how adored he is in Dublin. He's a local hero here. But I, I think his work and his journey is is really extraordinary. You know, the story of his life from being, you know, a, a young black boy in Dublin in the 50s in an Ireland where, you know, the, it was frankly totally monochrome. Everybody was white. Everybody was born in Ireland. You know, there was no... It, it was not a multicultural society like it is today. And he grew up in a pretty underprivileged part of Dublin. He was being raised by his grandparents because his mom, as a single mother in, in, in the UK, couldn't manage, you know, was experiencing a lot of difficulties in racism herself. So he started off, you know, in a, in a pretty tough beginnings in a, in a pretty restrictive Ireland. And he forged this incredible path out of his dreams. And out of, you know, a great love for music and a, and a loving family that surrounded him and a loving community. He forged this incredible path out of that built on the songs and his creativity and his dreams all the way to playing in front of 100,000 screaming fans in front of the uh, Sydney Opera House. You know, and I just think it's a great story. It's a great story about a human. It's a great story about overcoming, you know, how you start in your life and how you can dream your way out of it. And and to to reveal him, to reveal the man behind the songs you know he was a pretty shy man he was pretty he was hardworking. he was he was super smart and yet his image is really you know sex god with the you know the leather clad trousers to go on forever and the the hair dipping over his eyes with the, the cheeky smile you know and, and he was an incredibly charismatic performer but there's, you know, there's a lot more to him as an artist and as a human than people might know and I I just wanted to kind of reveal that you know and really started from wanting to tell his story as firsthand as we could, you know, obviously he, he died in 1986, sadly as a, a young man. Um, so there was no chance of getting a, a, a contemporary interview with him. So really tried to find a way where I could tell the story of his life firsthand, allow him to tell his own story. And that was built on using the songs, you know, so tried to use the songs as, as, 
little windows into his life, into his experiences, into his private life and his journey over the course of the film. So the songs are used as little little ways of shining a flashlight into his experience. And uh, in that way, the songs are used as a credible resource to, to hopefully uh, let Philip speak for himself. He did have such a, a unique way of writing, you know, almost like telling a story, uh, almost like they were diary entries in his journey um, in life. And I felt that the film really conveyed that a lot um, as, you know, as he grew as a person, um, or if he was dealing with things internally, he would always use song to give him that voice or give him a way to speak about it. I've always thought that was very interesting about him. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, th- this film version of his life and ch- the songs I chose is probably only uh, one way of looking at his his journey. You know, it's pretty subjective to me in terms of how what songs I chose to illustrate chapters of his life. For example, I, I use his incredible song, Wild One, um, which ostensibly uh, and on record, I believe, by Philip is about the uh, flight of the Earls, you know, this, is, this history, this historical moment in Irish history. But actually, we used it in the film because it's very opposite for his separation from his mother, you know, and we talk about... Wild one, won't you please come home? You've been away too long. You know, so it's an attempt to, to look into his, his loss of his mom or his separation from his mom when he was a child via that song, which may or may not be, be accurate, but it, you know, it was used in a subjective way to allow, you know, myself and the audience where they to be of a mind to, to kind of read his mind a little and to try to, try to look deeper into the stories he was trying to tell us about himself. Uh, Adam Clayton says in the film, you know, if you look into his songs, they're like, they are him trying to let you know who he was. And uh, that's certainly something I, I was trying to to do. And I, I think listening to the albums also gives you that, you know, you, you really hear a man showing you pieces of himself, not all at once and not all in, in the right order. But, you know, somehow in there, you'll find the, the full story of, of his inner life. We've talked about his upbringing and, you know, the area where he, you know, lived as a young child. And I've also read books on him as well. The amazing thing about him is how, how empathetic he was. And, you know, he, you know, when you hear his lyrics and you hear his songs, you, you, you hear that empathy of a man, you know, who who has a perspective that is a lot different than what a lot of people who have gone through his a similar situation like him growing up would would not have had. And I thought that was always something that doesn't get told enough about him. Yeah, you know, he as I said earlier, like the image is very, very uh, obviously charismatic. It's it's a very strong image. It's pretty masculine energy, you know. And so I think he was perceived as as that kind of uber confident, um, sexy man that was, you know, that was living the dream. But you know, in truth, he sound he was more complex. He was much more shy and private than it would appear. And and that image is something he he consciously crafted you know he he was a shy artist when he first he didn't want to Eric Bell tells in the film but you know it was a struggle to get him to go out 
front of the stage, you know, that he was hanging back. He wanted it to be a, a three-piece, you know, the original Lizzie was a three-piece, um, that, he, you know, that he was hanging back, not being prepared to go out and, and be the front man, be, be the leader. And even in the film, he talks about um, his shyness in terms of, he, he finds it, he finds it easy in a studio to sing songs about, I love you and I miss you and please come back and you've broken my heart. But actually when he's in front of 15,000 screaming fans, he finds it much easier to say, you know, I'll knock your block off, you know. So I think there was an incredibly interesting struggle in him, um, which is, as a filmmaker, it's fascinating to see that, you know, even if we don't have to deconstruct it literally, you know, it's really interesting to see a person who is, who is, like Walt Whitman would say, you know, I contain multitudes, you know, that he has, he has loads of pieces to him and not all of them were, were readily visible. So to, to, to find, you know, somebody who, who was, who was a, a, a struggle between his masculinity and his vulnerability or his shyness and his charismatic front man, you know, the private and, and, and the public. That's, that's really interesting. That was where some of the, the film was built, you know, we built the, the, we built the visual style around those ideas of, you know, could the film reflect the man, you know, could, could the film in its very execution talk to you on a very primal level about who he was? You know, I, I often describe it as a, a shy film with swagger, you know, and that's kind of what it's trying to do, you know, that there's the, the tender and the, and the intimate and it's, it's placed alongside the performances, which are loud and sexy and colorful and smoke bombs going off every five minutes, you know, so it's really, really nice energy and contrast. And I love all of that. I was really happy that the film didn't become what we already knew about Phil, you know, obviously the performer, the the icon in Thin Lizzy, but as Thin Lizzy fans and Phil lineup fans, we also knew of his struggles with addiction and the, the film does touch on it, but it doesn't make it about all of that. You mentioned the rock doc, you know, and, and a lot of those documentaries to dive into that stuff. I felt that we did see a different piece of Phil that as fans, we never saw before. And I thought that was, that was, uh, that was great to see that and, and really kind of learn more about him as the person that maybe we didn't know prior to that. Was that a conscious effort to kind of stay away from, you know, the documentary becoming that film about his, his addictions and about his struggles? Yeah. I mean, it was a very conscious choice we made to, to make, uh, to offer Philip, uh, the compassion and the dignity to be respectful around, you know, his struggles with addiction and his so tragic early death at such a young age and with young children, you know, I didn't want to make something salacious and tabloid and also, you know, um, finding that kind of ending to a rock lifestyle, you know, it's, it's almost a cliche, you know, we, we know that story a hundred times, you know, the, the, the star that burns bright and burns out and, and, his addiction, his addictions and his, his tragic end are just that, you know, terribly tragic and, and early and such a terrible waste as a human, as a father, as an artist, what more he could have offered the world, but wanted to make something with, with, with dignity and with respect to, to, you know, to his journey. And, and I don't think the film doesn't shirk the darkness. You know, we, we talk about it and we reflect it and we, we let you see it more importantly. Like you can see in Philip's um, 
physical self in his performances towards the end. You know, he's 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 looking more he's looking more bloated. He's put on a lot of weight. You know, like you can see you can see and hear in the lyrics and in the performance that it, this is somebody who is who is struggling. And uh, I wanted to treat it. We all wanted to just treat it with that amount of kindness and dignity and and compassion. Compassion more than anything. It's a uh, yeah, they have a, they have an expression here that they use about there, but for the grace of God go I, you know, that feeling of could you actually say were you to be a 19-year-old rock star or 22 or whatever it was when he ended up on top of the pops and ended up in the 70s with that lifestyle that you mightn't have gone the same way yourself. I certainly couldn't say it about me, you know. So um just feeling wanting to show him a lot of compassion and tenderness and 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 more than that, to reflect that sad part of his story, but also much more to celebrate what he brought to, to, to the world. You know, his incredible songwriting, his performances, his beautiful voice, his energy as a human, the loyalty and love he inspires in his, his friends and his fans, you know, to actually celebrate his life his, and, and, and reflect on this, his sad death with, with, with some dignity. Yeah, I agree. I, I, watching it. Um, uh, like I said, it, it showed me a different side of him that I never knew that, that I, I've read, but the way you portrayed him in, in this light, and I, it's, it's perfectly done. I, I felt I learned more about him. I felt that his life was told to be just more than rock star, drug addict, overdose. Yeah. This is his life. You know what I mean? And that, and, that, and that that story is told too much. And we don't really learn more about who that person was because there is more to, to an individual like Phil than just that, right? To just have it simplified and that he was a very complex person. He had a very unique perspective and his music, you know, when you, when you really dive into the lyrics, it's, it's so much more interesting, which makes him more interesting. You know, t- totally. And, and we're all of us, we're all of us multitudes and we're all of us much more than any mistakes or, or wrong paths we take. You know, there is, there is a possible universe here where Philip likes Scott Gorham at the same time. Scott got clean and Philip, and Philip didn't. And Scott has gone on to have, he's in his seventies now. He's rocking out, still, still gigging and recording albums. That that future was possible for Philip too, only he just didn't get the roll of the dice, you know, and maybe he would have. Maybe had he lived another year or another six months, he would have, you know, taken a different path. And and all of those futures could have happened, and sadly none of them did. And and that's that's just that's just the sad facts. And he's left behind sad, you know, children and, and a wife and close friends who all mourn him and fans who mourn him. So I, 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 we just wanted to deal with it like that and then allow you, should you be of a mind to, and, and hopefully the film, you know, appeals to both Lizzie fans and non-Lizzie fans, but to look into his back catalogue and to look into all the, all the craft, all the stories he told, all the songs he wrote, all the different sounds. He was so eclectic as a, as a, a songwriter, you know, all the different sounds, all the influences you can hear. You know, he he grew up in a house with older uncles slash brothers. You know, they were like brothers to him, but they were his uncles with eclectic music collections. And he was exposed to, you know, Elvis and the Mamas and the Papas and Sinatra and Jimi Hendrix. You know, so he was he was a magpie musically. And you can hear that in all the as you you hear all the albums I can hear in um 
My, it's my favorite album, Nightlife. I don't think the fans particularly love it as much as I do. I really love it. But you can hear Steely Dan, you know, you can hear all these wonderful influences. And towards the end of his life in his solo records, he was, he was playing with reggae and different sounds. And, you know, so he, as an artist and as a human, is much more than his death. And, and his life is much more interesting to us than his death, his sad death. And uh, that's what the film was, was trying to, trying to celebrate. My 16 year old son's favorite Thin Lizzy album is Nightlife. Oh, great. <laughs> We're together on that. Yes, yes. Um, the film also talks with his ex-wife, Caroline, and his two children, Sarah and Kathleen. And I've never seen them speak this extensively about Phil. Uh, when you approached them to be in the film, uh, how was that experience? You know, how was that? Were they, you know, it, it seems like they're they're very happy to talk about him with the little they know about him, especially his children, Sarah and Kathleen. But with the three of them, there seems to be still a sense of of sadness years later. Did you get that from them too as well? Oh yeah. Like it's, you know, I, I think I, I, you know, some, some of this story is my own journey. I, I lost my mother at age four. And when I met Sarah and Kathleen, you know, we bonded very strongly over that idea of, you know, losing a parent at such a young age and how it sends ripples out through your life and how much more um, dramatic and public that must have been for them to every time they turned on the radio and they were in their teens. And, and you know, Sarah talked to me off camera about, you know, she'd be driving along and, and the song that her dad wrote for her, the beautiful song Sarah would be playing on the radio, you know, and so constant reminders and, and echoes of all that was lost and all that you never experienced and all that you never knew it has been a huge part of their life. And, and I was so honored and privileged that they trusted me with the, with interviewing them and being prepared to be on screen. Caroline had done one interview before, um, but Sarah and Kathleen had never done any. So that they that they trusted us to to honor them and to tell their story in the way they wanted, uh, you know, to allow them to speak in however way they wanted and to honor that. And um, I was so privileged to hear it because I think it's a it's a whole other side to Philip's life, this family man, you know, this man with a dog and two children and changing nappies, you know, it's, it's not what you, you see when you see Philip on stage. So um, I was incredibly moved to meet them and consider them friends now. I don't think there's a better example for what you say. There's this, you know, this charismatic rock star with the leather pants and the hair and, and then you have the contrast with him writing songs like Sarah, Kathleen, about his daughters. You know, I, I think when you say that, though that right there defines really what you're talking about. You know, there's not too many rock stars that have reached his level that are willing to open themselves up and write a song about their daughter, you know, a, a song, a piece about their daughters. And I thought that's very interesting. And I think that really is... A, a great way of of defining who he was in that example of having that contrast of rock star and family man and different pieces of him. I thought that was that was conveyed very well in the story. Thank you, and and, and really, it's about Philip ultimately being a brave person that he was prepared to to risk it. You know that he was prepared to reveal himself like that, and 
I think you find that in a lot of the songs that he he was attempting to reveal himself. You know, he wanted to tell us the story of his life. You know, he wanted us to know him and uh, took the risk uh, about writing about Sarah, you know, uh, and, and Susie Quattro, who's wonderful in the film, tells a terribly funny story in the film about being on top of the pops at the same time as Philip when he was singing Sarah and he caught her eye in the wings and uh, kind of made a gesture that his, this famous gesture he always made of the kind of raising his fist to the audience, you know, and he kind of made that gesture to her in the middle of the song and, and she perceived it laughingly as he was still saying, Oh, I know this is all, you know, soft and, and loving kind of, I'm still Phil, you know, I'm still the rock god, you know. So I think it's lovely that he had the bravery to show himself and, and that he was also aware of how that it was a huge risk, you know, that it was a risk to reveal that soft side. When you were putting this film together, and now that this film is is completed, this journey that you went on is completed, was there Anything that you learned more about him that maybe you didn't know or maybe you didn't appreciate as much about Phil that you learned by making this this documentary? I did not know how shy he was. Um, I'm a pretty shy person myself and I've had kind of a bit of a journey when I'm making films and have to speak about them, you know, to actually overcome having to speak out in public and all that, you know, a bit of a journey. So I, I, I didn't know that about Philip. I had fallen hook, line and sinker as a fan since in my teens for the, you know, the charismatic, outgoing, super confident, super sexy hero at the front of the stage, you know. So to to learn that he had actually gone on a, a very after that persona as almost a vehicle by which he could hide his private shy self behind that was really new to me and and wonderful wonderful to learn it and 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 uh you know really interesting because I couldn't I can't see when I see Philip on stage all I see is you know confidence personified he held the audience in the palm of his hand you know I saw him in I saw Lizzie in concert and you know he he was making it 15,000 people just you know work as one big beast you know like we were just swaying to his music you know it was an incredible incredible power he had and yet there's a there's a complexity there's vulnerability there's a, a private shy man nestled in there which you know I hadn't seen and I also found it really interesting to hear him described as a as a really shrewd businessman you know <laughs> you know you also don't associate that with Philip you know that he was incredibly hard-working that he was very, very controlling in the best sense about Lizzie's sound, Lizzie's look, the marketing. You know, he was all over all of that, which was, you know, his ambition as hardworking business smarts were, were, were really interesting and, and wonderful to learn as well. Also, too, it, it speaks about the missed opportunities of being as big in, in America as they should have been, uh, you know, especially during the jailbreak tour when they had to cut that short because of an illness. Uh, it just seemed like they could never find their way in America, although they have a very loyal fan base at the same time. It, it always is disappointing as a Thin Lizzy fan that they don't get the recognition they deserve in the U.S. When you were making this film and you talked to people that were around him during that time, was that the sense too as well within you know Phil and, and and the band? Yeah. I mean they 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 really wanted to break America. And um 
as you say, they had three incredible tours there, one of them supporting Queen, you know, they had three incredible opportunities to do just that, especially around jailbreak with the, the hit, the boys are back in town, you know, they were poised to break America and to, and to be huge and would have been hopefully uh, much huger, much, is that a word? <laughs> much more huge than they are now, as you say, very loyal fan base, but not at the scale at which perhaps you might have hoped. And, and Philip was terribly disappointed. And I, I think they kind of felt it was like the curse of Thin Lizzy. Each of those three tours ended in some sort of disaster, not being able to go ahead or being cut short. So yeah, he, he was, he was terribly disappointed. That really mattered to him, but. You know, I love this about him and he says it in the film where he, he talks about that disappointment, but then he immediately switches to, but look, apart from that, you know, we, we were very, we were a very lucky and a very happy band. You know, they were huge in Asia. They're huge in Australia, all over Europe, Scandinavia, England, Ireland, you know, so he's able to, as a person, look on the positives, not only hold on to the sadness of never having broken America to the, the level they, they, they wanted, but to also be grateful for for the career and and the fans they did have and uh, you know Huey Lewis who's in the film who's a big fan of of Leslie a huge friend of Philip's um and and Philip played a huge role in in Huey's Huey's own career Huey f- says in the film he would not be who he is today without Philip's intervention you know Philip pulling him from the back of the stage with on stage with his band Clover and saying you know get out front have the confidence you know be the lead and but he talks about, you know, if breaks had gone a different way, you know, what, what, what mightn't have happened, you know, or what, 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 what wouldn't have happened for Lizzie, you know, that they could have gone all the way. And maybe there's an alternative future where that happened. <laughs> well, you know, to, to have a, a, one of the most iconic, most recognizable songs with Boys Are Back in Town. Uh, is quite remarkable in itself. And, you know, for anyone listening, I, I do, you know, wish that you would, you know, dive into their catalog because there's so much more to Thin Lizzy than just the boys are back in town. There's so much great material um, that they write about. There's so much introspective um, uh, lyrics that he writes. And it's such a, you really, I don't know if there's another artist that really bears their soul as much as as Philip did, as Phil Lennett did. Yeah, he, he, you know, he was, he was the full package. You know, he had, he's an incredible performer, so charismatic, so like, a so alive, you know, so beautiful on stage with the moves. He's an incredible bass player. Incredible quality, this velvety quality to his voice. And then the lyrics, you know, this, the, an eclectic range of sounds and and storytelling songs and songs that that reveal his inner life, sad ballads, incredible big rock sounds. You know, definitely for your for your listeners to go out and 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 yeah, explore some of the albums they may not know. They may know Jailbreak, but they may not know. Uh, you know, like nightlife. Let's 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 do another shout out for nightlife. Although Scott Gorham describes it as their cocktail album, which is <laughs> not not positively, I don't think. But you know, there's more to there's more to Lizzie and more to Philip Lynott than than immediately meets the eye. And and I hope this film, at least at least a little, you know, allows a little peek at all of that. Well, Emer, it's been a pleasure talking about this. I thank you very much for coming on the Hook Rocks and talking about the documentary Songs for Wild Away. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Jay.
All right, everybody, that's Ema Reynolds. Catch the documentary about Phil Lineup and Thin Lizzy, Songs for While I'm Away. I believe it's available all over the U.S. right now. Uh, you can get it on all streaming platforms. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. Stay safe, stay strong, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.